Hello, or good morning, uh, or good whenever it is that you're watching this. We're going to think about that passage together uh, in a second, so before we do that, we're just going to pray. Uh, Father, thank you for the privilege that we have that we can open the Bible and read your word. And Father, as we come together to reflect on these um, passages, we pray that by your spirit you would speak to us. Speak to us through your word, uh, encourage us, inspire us, challenge us, and change us, Lord. Amen. Great. Well, this is a 1995-1996 Plymouth Argyle kit. And I think you will agree it is a thing of absolute beauty. Um, it was the first kit I ever owned, and it symbolises for me a season in which uh, we got to the playoff final at Wembley. Okay, the playoff final being the culmination of your whole season. Uh, you play one game at Wembley, we played against Darlington, and the winner gets promoted, and the loser doesn't get promoted. It's as simple as that. One game to settle your season. Um, we played them on the 25th of May 1996. It was a pretty boring game, not a lot happened, but in the 65th minute, uh, there was an Argyle corner. The ball was whipped into the far post, and Ronnie Morge, one of our shortest midfielders, leapt like a salmon and headed the ball into the back of the net. 1-0 Argyle, they held on for the rest of the game, uh, and so when the final whistle went, we were promoted. Absolute scenes. 35,000 Argyle fans celebrated together that we were going to be playing in the dizzy heights of Division 2, as it was at the time. My dad stood up and celebrated, and I wasn't there. I was in a field somewhere outside of Guildford playing a wide game because I was on a crusader camp at the time. And you're going to expect me at this point to say, oh, but the spiritual blessing I got from the crusader camp far outweighed anything that I could have seen at Wembley. But the truth is, as much as I have been blessed by youth camps over the years, and as much as I love them, uh, if I could change one thing about my history as an Argyle fan, I would have gone to Wembley on that day, because we've never done it again since. We're thinking this morning about someone who missed a key event, Thomas, who wasn't there when the disciples first met with Jesus. Uh, and the reality is that what most people think of about Thomas is defined by that um, experience, although I think that's a little bit harsh. But we're going to be looking at the two, the two encounters, actually, that we've seen that are both in this passage. First, when Jesus meets with the disciples, and secondly, then, when he meets specifically with Thomas. The context is um, straight after Jesus' death. Um, so Jesus has been crucified. John tells us that he died and he was buried. And then John tells us that, that he rose back to life. And we thought about that last Sunday, Easter Sunday, um, when we saw about how Jesus revealed himself to Mary in the garden and she realises what's happened. She realises that he's been resurrected. And she goes and tells that to the disciples. She says, I have seen the Lord. But it's only when they then encounter Jesus, Jesus reveals himself to them, that they believe. And they then go to Thomas, who wasn't there the first time around, and says, we've seen the Lord. And he has the same reaction that I think they probably had the first time around, which is that he says, I need to see proof of that for myself. Um, and Thomas, Thomas forever will therefore be known as, as a doubter, which I think is quite unfair. 
Um, but we're going to think this morning about two things that we can... I want to draw out, sorry, two things from these encounters together. First of all, I want to think about the question that it is that Thomas and the disciples and Mary had to answer. And secondly, we're going to think about the call, what it was that they were called to off the back of the decision that they made or the realisation that they had, that Jesus had in fact risen from the dead. Uh, so we're going to think about those two things first and then we'll have a think quickly about what that means for us too. The question, when the disciples come to Thomas, he realises, I think, that the, the decision he makes about what they're claiming will change the rest of his life. And that, I think, is why he needs the proof that he needs. The disciples aren't coming to him and saying, oh, do you remember that guy who moved away a few years ago? Yeah, we've just seen him in the supermarket. We think he's probably back. No, they're saying Jesus, who we thought was the Messiah, who we've been with for three years, but three days ago we saw crucified and we thought, we thought that was it. We thought it was all over. He's risen back to life. God has raised him from the dead. And therefore everything is about to change. And Thomas says, I need to see evidence of that. I need to see evidence that he is alive. And he says, I need to see the scars that he got on the cross before I can believe that. And Jesus then meets with him and gives him the same proof that the other disciples had had. I find it really interesting. I'd never really noticed in these passages before how Jesus chooses to identify himself to the disciples and to Thomas. You know, they'd spent three years with him. They were with him like almost every day. It's clear that in these um, particular resurrection accounts that he was recognisable. They recognised him. There are other accounts where he chooses not to be recognisable. But there's nothing that implicates, well, it, it seems pretty clear in these two encounters that we've read about this morning that they recognised him physically. If they still weren't sure, I mean, he could, have, he could have recounted like a conversation on an experience that they had that only, you know, something that had happened when there was only 13 of them together. As if to say, look, it really is me. You can, you can, you can be sure that it's me. But actually what Jesus does is to, to show them his scars, to show them the wounds that he got on the cross. And I think what he's doing here is, is kind of redefining to them what his ministry was about. He's saying, look, you, you knew I was a teacher and you thought I was sent from God. You saw me do miracles and you concluded that I was the Messiah, and I am. But actually my ministry was never just about miracles or teaching. Actually, everything that I was doing was about my crucifixion. I came to die. I came to pay the price for your sin. I came to call you to a belief, which I'll call the whole world to, that to believe that because of my death, you can be set free, that because of my scars, you can be forgiven, that because of my wounds, you can be healed that because I was separated from God, you can be restored into relationship with him. That the death I experienced is the spiritual state that you're in now, that because I have overcome death, you can too. And you can know eternal life with me and the Father if you believe in me. And Thomas encounters Jesus and his reaction is brilliant, isn't it? My Lord and my God. He recognises the enormity of the claim 
that Jesus has risen back from the dead, he, he sees that if that is true, only God could have done that. Only God could raise Jesus back from the death. From death. And therefore, Jesus is the real deal. Everything he claimed about himself must be true. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is the one through whom salvation will come because God is with him. He is God himself. And Thomas responds and says, my Lord and my God. Not just, that's great to know. <laughs> thanks, Jesus. Thanks for coming. No, this is true. And therefore, you are my God. I am going to spend the rest of my life worshipping you and serving you. He's answered the question and therefore he recognises the call, he recognises that it changes everything. And you see that in these two encounters, you see that when the disciples in the first encounter, when they recognise what, what it means, they celebrate together and then Jesus sends them out. He says, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. And then he, he, he sort of commissions them to go out and preach the gospel through which people will discover forgiveness. And with Thomas as well, there's that, um, that verse in verse 29 where he says, Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Sometimes I think we take that as being like a rebuke, like he's telling Thomas off as if saying, look, you should have, you should have believed anyway. I'm not convinced about that. Everyone who has believed up until this point has seen Jesus. Mary believed when she saw Jesus. The other disciples, they saw Jesus in the room and they, they realised that he'd been resurrected and who he was. And the same is true for Thomas. I think what Jesus is saying here is actually there are a small number of you who have had the privilege of physically witnessing my resurrection. But the blessing, that isn't limited to you. The blessing is for the whole world. The blessing goes beyond this room, beyond this nation, beyond this generation, because everyone who believes in me, even if they haven't seen me, can know the truth of, can discover the truth of, of relationship with God, of forgiveness, of salvation, of eternal life. And John springboards straight off that in his gospel, and actually in verse 30 and 31, is saying that's the whole reason I'm writing this book is so that if you haven't sinned Jesus, you can know the truth about what he's done. And Thomas and the disciples will respond to that call with the rest of their life. They will, they will found the church, they will grow the church as we see in Acts. And tradition tells us that Thomas then took the gospel east and was martyred um, probably in India, killed for his faith, because he was so committed to telling people about this. Thomas understood the magnitude of the question. Did Jesus rise from the dead? And he understood the call that went with it as Jesus sent him out to take that news to the rest of the world. Life could never be the same because of what Jesus had done. And as we come to a, um, as I come to a close this morning, um, I, want to, I want to challenge us with exactly those two things. The question, first of all, do you know whether or not Jesus rose from the dead? Have you answered that question? Because there is no more important question to answer. As Thomas discovered, or as Thomas knew, it changes everything. If Jesus rose from the dead, then he is the Son of God. He is God himself, and through whom is forgiveness, eternal life, salvation. 
If you haven't answered that question, I want to say to you, research it. Read the Bible, speak to Christian friends, do Alpha. Ask that question because there is no bigger question that we have to answer. And secondly, if you have answered that question, are we responding to that call? Have we changed our lives to be people who take that message out? I was challenged uh, a couple of weeks ago by something Nicola Sturgeon said um, in response to the coronavirus. She was speaking to people in Scotland and she was sort of challenging them as to whether they'd adjusted accordingly. And she said this, she said, life shouldn't feel normal right now. So if your life still feels entirely normal, ask yourself if you're doing the right things. Or if instead, you might be putting yourself and others at unnecessary risk. I was really challenged by that. I was challenged by it in the context of the sort of coronavirus response. But actually, as a, as a Christian, I was challenged by that as well, because the same is true for us. If we've discovered the truth about Jesus, then life can never be normal again. It changes our whole reason for existing, to be people who worship him, who serve him, my Lord, my God, and who take that message out. We're in weird times at the moment. We probably don't see as many people as we did before, but we can still be people who are responding to that call. Are we praying regularly for people we know who don't yet know Jesus? Are we looking for opportunities, opportunities sorry, to share the truth with them? Are we preparing for when life does return back to normal about how we can be people who share the gospel to our friends, to our family, to our colleagues, to people we know, to people we don't know yet? Will we rise to that call? Or if we're honest, is life right now normal in that sense? If one, yeah, it can be normal in any sense at the moment. Is our life fundamentally different? because of the answer to that question of whether or not Jesus rose from the dead. I want to leave us with those challenges. I'm going to pray as we finish. Father, thank you for these encounters. Thank you for um, the proof that you showed to Thomas and the disciples. Thank you for the proof that we have in the Gospels and in all that you've done through um, the lives of the Christians we know or the Christians we don't know as well. Lord, by your Holy Spirit, send us out by your Holy Spirit, convict us of truth and send us out to be people who respond to your call amongst our friends and our family, everyone we know and even those people we don't know yet. Amen.